We're going to look at three different verses all close to each other here. Let's look at verse 16 to begin. John 14. There we go. John 14 and verse 16. The Bible says there, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Look down at verse 26. 14 verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have shared unto you. Turn over to John chapter 16 and verse number 7. The Bible says there, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. You notice that in all three of these verses, the Holy Spirit is called our Comforter. I'm going to bring a sermon tonight out of these verses and others that might seem odd after reading these three verses. But after I do some explaining, I think it will make a little more sense. The title of the message this evening is The Holy Spirit. Our lawyer, our lawyer. Let's pray. God, tonight I ask that you give uh, clarity of mind. Give me power from above as I preach the unsearchable riches of truth. Lord, uh, this journey, this study of the Holy Spirit, may it yield Christians that walk filled with the Holy Spirit and enjoy all the benefits thereof. And Lord, may those who live within our worlds be touched by Christians who are living genuine Christian lives the way you intended. Lord, my prayer is that White Oak Baptist Church would be filled with Holy Spirit-led, fulfilled, empowered Christians. What an impact we could have on our communities, on our families, and around the world if we would live this way. So, Lord, as we look into your word this evening, help it to make sense to us. And, Lord, help us to be that much closer to giving you more control of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. During this series, we have uh, been learning about who this Holy Spirit is uh, and what role he plays in the life of Christians. The role he plays in the life of Christians. Now, um... It is very important that we understand who is this deity that lives inside the heart of every Christian. He is there when our salvation takes place. From the time a sinner begins to understand the plan of salvation, it is the Holy Spirit that is encouraging the heart of that that sinner and pushing him to believe and accept the free gift of eternal life. He is knocking at the heart's door. He is convicting. He is pushing. He is prodding. When a sinner goes ahead and yields to that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that sinner believes in the grace that Christ provided on the cross, what happens at that moment is that the Holy Spirit enters into the heart of that one and with the blood of Jesus washes away all of that uh, person's sin from their heart. And uh, at the same time, God the Father writes that name down in the Lamb's book of life. Aren't you glad, if you're saved here tonight, that the Holy Spirit convicted you? 
Aren't you glad that he came in and uh, regenerated or washed away your sins? Aren't you glad that he allowed your name to be written down in heaven? One day when I stand in front of the gate of heaven and God says to me, why should I let you in? He won't have to ask me that. The book will be open and my name will be there because my, my, my soul has been saved. My sins have been washed away by the Holy Spirit. Now, on top of all that, the Holy Spirit comes into the heart of this new believer and instantly, instantly makes him a new creature. Um, this, this Christian has the Holy Spirit to live in him or indwell him for the rest of his earthly life. I have met many Christians who are living a long ways from God. They're living sinful lives. They're uh, running from God and, and running from church and running from a cleaned up lifestyle. And I can, uh, one way I can tell uh, whether or not they're saved is when you get them in a private moment and you get them to talk to you, they've got misery written all over their face because the Holy Spirit keeps smashing them on the inside Every time they sin, and they're miserable living that way. If uh, you can sin and you don't feel bad about it, you can sin and and, and squash uh, your conscience and sear your conscience, uh, and, and 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 you claim to be saved. I'm here to tell you that you're probably not saved, because where you have been uh, converted from sin, you will be converted over sin. And that is a guarantee. That is something the Holy Spirit promises. He is working uh, to make you into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ while you walk the earth. And that process will be completed when you step on the shore of heaven. If you're here tonight, please listen. If you're here tonight and you haven't accepted the free gift of salvation provided through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, then don't wait another minute. Don't wait another minute. God is literally standing there with a free gift saying, here, it's heaven. It's forever. It's free. Extend your hand of faith and receive it. What are you waiting for? You see, because on top of having your sins washed away and your name written down in the, in the book of life, God gives you an agent to move inside of you. He places the Holy Spirit inside of you to help you to be the best version of yourself that you could ever be. In fact, to remake you. Not just to be the best version of yourself that you can be, to be a new creature. It's a wonderful thing. Now, many people receive health insurance through their work. All right? A lot less than before the Affordable Health Care Act. Uh, but uh, many people receive health insurance through their work. I want you to imagine that Joe uh, is going to work and at his job he has a top-rate insurance, health insurance policy. The day comes where Joe goes to the doctor. And uh, he goes to the visit and he is diagnosed with just a really bad case of cancer. And they say, this is beatable, but it's bad. And he said, well, how much is it going to cost? And they said, well, well, do you have insurance? He said, yeah, 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 I've got insurance, but I don't want to use it. Just, just send me the bill. I don't want to use insurance. But Joe, what insurance do you have? Well, I've got this top-rate plan with no copay, and, 
everything's totally covered, but I don't want to use the insurance. Just send me the bill. Well, Joe, this is going to be in the tens of thousands of dollars. It's going to push up toward $100,000. And if you have insurance through your work, you have gone to work. You have put in the time. You have earned the right to have this insurance. You have it. You might as well use it. He says, no, I'm not going to use it. And so uh, through this cancer takes a turn for the worse and Joe dies. Joe dies. Well, Joe's wife gets a call from the life insurance company. And the life insurance company says, ma'am, you, your husband had a million-dollar policy through his work. And you are the beneficiary of that money. And she says, I, I, I don't want the money. You're thinking, this is the oddest couple. He had health insurance he wouldn't use, and she is the, the benefactor of a life insurance policy. She doesn't want it. Now, they, this, this family, Joe and his wife, they have... Uh, benefits that they're entitled to because he has gone to work and received the benefits, but he's not taking advantage of them. Christian, how many of us have the benefit of the Holy Spirit bettering our life, but we just forego? We're like Joe at the doctor's office. Just send me the bill. I, I, I can do this on my own. I'll take money out of my retirement and I'll pay for it. What? Joe, just submit the bill to your insurance and your job that pays for your insurance will cover it. No, no, no. Send me the bill. And too many times Christians are saying, uh, I can handle it. I can do it. Uh, I don't need the help of the Holy Spirit. I, I can live the Christian life on my own. I, I've got this. I've got this. And the Holy Spirit says one of the benefits of putting your faith and trust in, uh, in, in Jesus for salvation is that the Holy Spirit moves in and he is the greatest benefit a person could ever have because he wants to fulfill you. He wants to live through you. He wants to better everything around you and about you. And until you submit, until you give in, until you give him control, it it is a benefit that is sitting by the side. And it is sad to say that many Christians, if not most Christians, live most of their Christian lives ever, ever tapping in to what the Holy Spirit has to offer. Now, if we look back in our passage this evening, we find a description of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. You see that there in John 14, 16, 26, and 16, 7? He calls him the Comforter. Now, there are limitations when translating certain words from one language to another. Paraclete is a difficult word. Brother Verone, when he was here, he and I would go back and forth talking about um, the Greek-Hebrew text and the uh, King James text. And uh, he would say to me, sometimes, sometimes the Greek enhances the English and sometimes the English enhances the Greek. And I agree with that statement. Totally agree with it. This may be one of those instances where the Greek enhances the English. Now, the word for comforter in all three of these places is the word paraclete. If you can and you're taking notes, write that down. Paraclete. P-A-R-A, para. Clete. C-L-E-T-E. Paraclete. That word paraclete is multifaceted. Multifaceted. 
it means a few different things. Each is profound. Each is its own awesome of uh, own ocean of awesomeness. Own ocean of awesomeness. As you begin to study what a paraclete is, oh my goodness, each one of these words is an incredible description of the Holy Spirit. And each one of these words stands on its own two feet in its own powerful way. Let me tell you what a paraclete is, all right? Write these words down. Lawyer, lawyer, instructor, comforter. Lawyer, instructor, comforter. I didn't do the homework on this. I probably should have, but you've heard of a paralegal. Paraclete, paralegal. Imagine the two have to be connected, having the same... Um, um, beginning of the word there. Prefix is the word I'm looking for. Now, let me be clear. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And the men that translated our Bible, I'm sure they spent a lot of time in prayer asking God which of those three words they should put down in John 14, 16, 26, and 16, 7. And I have no doubt that God's Holy Spirit led them to write down comforter there. I have no doubt that that is the right word that should be in our Bible. I am not questioning the King James translators on any level. I would never, ever, ever try to do that. Those men, every one of them, all 39 of the men that translated our Bible into English are way smarter uh, than I'll ever be. And they all, to my knowledge, had an incredible walk with God as they sought to translate his Bible. So the word comforter there is the right word. Another sermon, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit is our comforter. I will preach that with uh, that, that message, and, and it will have uh, a wonderful and powerful truth to it as we look at the Holy Spirit, our comforter, uh, the Holy Spirit as our comforter. Tonight, though, I want to turn our attention to the Holy Spirit as our lawyer. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 in your Bibles. If you are new to church, there's John, that's in the Gospels. First John is back toward the end of the New Testament. First John, Second John, Third uh, John, Jude and Revelation. So if you get to Jude and Revelation, you went a little too far. First uh, John, chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. For those of you that think I might be stretching the verses, I want to show you that I'm not stretching anything. Look at verse John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Does anyone want to guess what the Greek word here is for advocate? Paraclete. Paraclete. It's the same word we find... Translated comforter in John 14 and John 16. The same exact word. Paraclete. Here it's translated advocate or lawyer. Um, in this verse, 1 John 2, 1, the Bible explains that Christ is our paraclete or our mediator or our advocate or our lawyer with God for our reconciliation with him. There is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He stepped in between a wrathful God and sinful creation. He absorbed the wrath of God and he justifies us. He, he, he atones us in the presence of God so that our sins can be expunged in the court, in God's court. Now, 
just as Jesus is our paraclete for our eternity, um, um, the Holy Spirit as well is our paraclete or our lawyer. This evening, what I'd like to do is look at four ways in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is a lawyer for those who are Christians. Number one, point number one, our lawyer during tribulation. Our lawyer during tribulations. Um, there are many times through the Bible, as well as secular history, where we find Christians standing firm for their faith. Christians that were assassinated for what they believed. It was the year 1900. China was facing its Boxer Rebellion. Insurgents captured a mission station. It blocked all the gates but one. And in front of that one gate, they placed a cross flat on the ground. Then the word was passed to those inside that any who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life, but that any refusing to do so would be shot. Now think about that scenario. What would you do? It's easy to say, oh, I wouldn't trample the cross. But your life's on the line. That's a terrifying moment. Well... The first seven students, they, they trampled the cross, and they were allowed to, to go free. But the eighth student was a young little girl, no older than nine or ten years old. Her salvation was real. She, she came to the edge of the cross, laid on the ground there at the edge of the gate, and she got down on her knees. She prayed that God would give her the courage what she did is she stood up, refusing to commit such an act of sacrilege. She walked around the edge of the cross very carefully. Because of her courage to stand during a time of incredible tribulation, the remaining 92 students followed her around the edges of the cross right outside to a firing squad where they were killed. Now, where did this little girl get her courage? I would say it was the Holy Spirit. It was her advocate. It was her lawyer who gave her the courage to stand for her faith. Now, we can see... One of the many examples in the Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 4 with me. One of the many examples in the Bible where the Holy Spirit, during a confrontation with the enemies of God, spoke like a lawyer through the mouth of a believing uh, believer defending his very own. Spoke through the mouth, used the Holy Spirit down inside the heart of the Christian, uh, reached up and used the vocal cords and the lips and the tongue and spoke to those who were persecuting Christians and as a lawyer worked through that body to defend the one who he dwelled inside of. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse number 8. The scenario here is that Peter uh, and, and the apostles were 
growing the church and, and, and the church was exploding in growth. Jesus had just been assassinated. He had risen from the dead, been seen by 500 at once, had ascended to heaven. The early church had started. Revival was breaking out. The church was growing and the government and the Pharisees, uh, the council decided they had to get ahead of this. So they called in Peter, uh, as well as some of the others and they questioned Peter for what they did. Look at verse number eight. Then Peter, look here. Filled with the Holy Ghost. We're about to see the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, be a lawyer. Said unto them, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby... We must be saved. And so here we see Peter, uh, he received the courage to speak with the governors and the religious councils. Where did he get this courage to speak so boldly? Well, the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. The Holy Spirit had lawyered up through Peter and was speaking for him. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 in your Bibles. And we see that uh, Jesus testified and told uh, the disciples that this was going to happen. That they were going to be called in front of governors and kings. And they were going to be questioned for their faith. Jesus told them that in that time the Holy Spirit would speak for them on their behalf. Look at verse 18. It says there, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Matthew ten eighteen, For a testimony against them of the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak. Look here. But the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, of your Father, which speaketh in you. So the Holy Spirit is our lawyer During tribulations, history books tell us that when Andrew, the disciple of Christ, was walking to his place of death, he exclaimed, listen to this, it is the pleasure of my life to die for the cause of my Savior. I am very grateful that I can die on a cross like my Lord. Let that sink in for a minute. Here's Andrew being carried away to be executed on an X-shaped cross. It is the pleasure of my life to die for the cause of my Savior. I am very grateful that I can die on a cross like my Lord. Uh, uh, How did did Andrew have the courage to say such a thing and mean it? The Holy Spirit was speaking through him. Christians, the day is coming in this country where we will be persecuted for our faith. I don't know if it will come in my lifetime or if it will come in my children's lifetime. The day is coming where Christianity will not be so popular anymore, will not be so uh, uh, easily expressed through our freedoms. What are you going to do when your faith is questioned by force? My friend, the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Stand strong. Stand strong. 
Some of you here go through some sort of tribulation at work. You read your Bible in the break room. (laughs) Then you get made fun of out back on the floor. Or you uh, are caught praying before your meal. Your supervisor gives you a hard time. That's not like what this little girl dealt with in China, is it? But nonetheless, it's a miniature persecution. You be faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful to God in the big things. The Holy Spirit is our lawyer during tribulations. Why is it that I should surrender my heart to God and let His Holy Spirit have control? Because there are times where I don't know what to say. And I need the Holy Spirit to step up for me. Do you think that the Holy Spirit would have spoke up through Peter if Peter, just a few minutes before then, would have been denying the Holy Spirit right to his life and heart? It's hard to say, but I'm left to wonder if so. My friend, we must be surrendered to and filled with the Spirit so that when we hit times of uh, tribulation, our lawyer will speak through us. Number two, notice our lawyer when we testify. When we testify. Turn over to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26 and verse 24. Here we find the Apostle Paul. He had finished his last missionary journey. He had gone to Jerusalem. Uh, Once he entered Jerusalem, he was uh, uh, arrested by the uh, Roman centurions. The um, uh, religious leaders of Jerusalem had uh, created an uprising against him. And so he would uh, begin a long journey through several different political leaders on his way to Rome, where eventually he'd be tried by Caesar's court and then killed. Here is one of those courtroom settings on his way to Rome, or prior to being sentenced to head to Rome. Look at verse 24, and we see Paul's testimony here. It says, And as he thus spake for himself, so Peter's, rep- or rather, Paul's representing himself. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad, doth make thee crazy. But he said, I am not mad or crazy, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Look at verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Here Paul is sitting in a court. You have uh, uh, Festus and you have King Agrippa sitting in the same court, listening to Paul represent himself. And Paul is giving them the gospel, going back into the Old Testament prophets and showing how that Jesus was the fulfillment of uh, of what the prophets had prophesied and that salvation was offered through the life of Jesus. And uh, uh, they're sitting and listening and all of a sudden uh, Festus raises up, probably under conviction, he says, Peter, you're rather Paul, you're crazy. And Paul says, I'm not crazy, I'm speaking truth. Then he looks at Agrippa, who sat there quietly. And he says to Agrippa, he said, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa, under a lot of conviction, said, you have almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Now, that was the scene in front of the curtain. Let me take you behind the spiritual curtain and show you what was really happening. You see, Paul 
had submitted himself to the Holy Spirit through this. And Paul was filled with the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. What was happening is the Holy Spirit was placing in Paul's mouth the words to testify to Festus and Agrippa. While the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul and being an advocate or a lawyer on Paul's behalf, that same Holy Spirit was working on the heart of Festus and, 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 uh, uh, and, and Agrippa here. And he was uh, uh, punching them in the chest and hitting them in the heart and saying, listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. It's true. It's true. You need to give in. You need to accept uh, uh, what you're hearing is true. And they're pushing away, pushing back at this gospel. The Holy Spirit was being a lawyer for truth uh, and helping Paul to testify. And he was being a lawyer for righteousness and against the sin in their heart uh, uh, and, and working both sides of the courtroom there. Oh, how many times I have seen the Holy Spirit take over my very tongue during a time of testifying of my Savior's love. I have seen Him speak through me and directly into the heart of a lost sinner. I have seen Him represent the truth from my mouth and to the heart of the lost. I took a trip to Louisiana a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we uh, left out on a Wednesday. We got there Wednesday evening. We ended up doing church on Thursday evening that week. And uh, Thursday morning, we got up and we went to the camp where I was called into the gospel ministry. It's called Smite Camp. I was smitten. Amen? No, uh, Smite stands for Summer Missionary Institute of Training and Evangelism. The idea of the camp is they take teenagers and they teach them how to do a backyard Bible club in the morning. They send them out to do the backyard Bible club in the afternoon. And then they get red hot preaching in the evening to get them stirred up for the Lord. It is a wonderful setup. Uh, I, I did it all through my teen years and it had a, lot, a, a very large impact on me. It trained me how to work in children's ministries. Very, very, very thankful for it. Uh, uh, so going back there to that was a blessing. We showed up uh, around lunchtime on Thursday and they put us with a team to go out and do a backyard Bible club with some teenagers there. While we were walking around inviting kids to come, well, the adult who was in charge of the teenagers, he said to me, he said, hey, on Monday I met this young man and he told me he lives in number 26 and I can't find 26 anywhere. He said, can you help me look for it? So I went with this um, uh, this adult, and we began to walk down the road away from the apartment complex we were in. And we saw down the road about a quarter of a mile on the right, there was another set of apartments there in a poor part of Baton Rouge. And so we began to walk down there, and sure enough, 20, 22, 24, I guess it was four or five apartments in, we found number 26. And we knocked on the door, and about an 11 or 12-year-old boy opened the door just smiling and happy. And, and uh, the adult I was with, said, hey, are you guys coming to the five-day club? And uh, the boy said, oh, man, I really want to come, but uh, my mom's not here. She's at work, and I'm watching my brothers and sisters, and so we won't get into the legalities of an 11- or 12-year-old watching their siblings. That's not the point of the sermon tonight. But nonetheless, that was the case. He said, I really want to come, but I can't come. And, and we said, oh, well, that's okay. Maybe you can come tomorrow. So we're turning around to leave, and as we're walking past the edge of the apartment building, a man uh, uh, came walking by named Ricky. Ricky didn't have his shirt on, but Ricky was coming up and getting ready to head upstairs. And I stopped Ricky and I said, hey, sir, what's your name? And he said, my name's Ricky. I said, oh, we have almost the same name. And I struck up a conversation with him and I asked him, I said, Ricky, if you were to die, where would you go? He said, well, I'd like to think I'd go to heaven. 
And I said, well, if you went, if you, if you went through death's gate today and you stood in front of God's heaven and God said, Ricky, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you tell him? He said, well, I, I guess I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've tried to do the right things. I've tried to clean up my life. And I said, Ricky, cleaning up your life doesn't get anybody to heaven. Ricky and I began to go through the gospel. There was a point where Ricky said something to me that no one had ever said to me. And it threw me off my game a little bit. Let me tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit spoke through me and answered his question. It's a thought I'd never even had before, but I was able to share that with Ricky. Boy, the light bulb started to come on. Ricky got more and more interested in what I had to say. And I got down to the end, and Ricky bowed his head there, and he, I had my arm around his shoulder, and Ricky bowed his head, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. Boy, Ricky looked up at me with the most somber look on his face, and he said, I don't know where you came from. I said, I came from Connecticut. He said, from Where? I said, I flew down here from Connecticut yesterday. I said, God wanted you and me to meet. He wanted you to be saved, Ricky. Ricky looked at me and said, God really does love me, doesn't he? I said, oh, yes, he does. Do you know what God had to do to get Ricky to arrive and be walking from his truck up to that apartment staircase and have me and this adult man walk around the corner to an apartment complex we weren't even supposed to go to, and then have the two of our paths cross. You see, my friend, God is bringing people like Ricky across our paths every single day. And we hide behind the excuse of, I I would share my faith, but I I, I, I don't know what to say. My friend, you put yourself out there, and the Holy Spirit will start to speak through you. How many people, how many people have come across my path? And I've been too busy and distracted and going this way and that way. And those people will be in hell one day because I didn't have the time or the attention to be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to be a lawyer through me on their behalf to advocate for their salvation. How many times have Christians hid behind the excuse of, I don't know what to say, and I don't know what to do, and I'm scared, and you're sitting at a family reunion, and you're sitting around with an old friend from high school, and God wants to speak to you to that person, and we, we hide behind our fear. And my friend, I'm to remind you that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And if you'll open up your lips and say, Holy Spirit of God, I don't know what to say to see them say, but speak through me and testify to their heart so that they can be saved. How many more folks would we be saved? Christian, God wants to fill you with His boldness and His courage to be an Apostle Paul uh, uh, testifying uh, on the behalf of salvation and for Christ. And nobody wants to see those those folks saved more than God does. You open your mouth and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you will do His part. Number one, we see our lawyer during tribulations. Number two, our lawyer when we testify. Notice number three, our lawyer when we fall to temptation. Look over at John chapter 16 and verse 7. John 16 where we began this evening. Look at 
The Bible says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter or the paraclete will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, here you have Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit in terms of him being a comforter. So you have this idea of the Holy Spirit being a comforter. And then it's almost like we're looking at the backside of the coin of the Holy Spirit being a comforter on one end of the coin and on the other end of the coin being this person that drives sin out of the world. And you wonder, well, how do those two thoughts mesh? And the truth is that the idea of Jesus or the Holy Spirit being a paraclete, boy, him being a lawyer, that sure seems to work well. Because as a lawyer, he's on a mission to run sin out of the world. Now, on the first two points we looked at this evening, we saw how the Holy Spirit advocates on our behalf. On this point, the Holy Spirit advocates for God and for righteousness. He, advocate, he advocates against our sin. He advocates, uh, but he advocates for our betterment. He advocates for our sanctification. And in this case, sometimes it can feel like the Holy Spirit is an advocate against us, especially when we're choosing sin. And this is that conviction I was talking about. Let me ask you a question this evening. To whom does this lawyer make his plea? This this lawyer makes his plea with everyone in which he indwells. You bow your head and you ask Jesus Christ to save you. He's come in, he's washed away your eternal sin debt, he's forgiven you, he's made you a new creature, he's moved in, he's trying to break down your sinful habits and build up healthy uh, 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 Christian habits and habits that honor the Lord, biblical habits, and he sees an area in your life that isn't right, and so he begins to prick your spirit and prick your conscience and use your own thoughts to say, that needs to change, that needs to stop. What is he doing? He is working as a lawyer On behalf of righteousness, he is working inside of those in which he indwells. To whom does this lawyer try to negotiate? He negotiates with every Christian who struggles with sinful habits. He negotiates with every Christian that regards iniquity in his heart. One thing I've learned in my years of watching is that the Holy Spirit, he is very, very, very patient with Christians. He is very, very impatient with the lost, or he can be very impatient with the lost. The Holy Spirit will only convict a lost person so many times. And if they continue to resist and reject that, eventually the Holy Spirit gives up on that person and there is no more drawing into salvation. I don't know how long that is and I'm not going to take a guess on that. But one thing I'll say is that the Holy Spirit never gives up on a Christian. You've asked Jesus in your heart, and and, and when you were four, you might die when you're 84. For the next 80 years, the Holy Spirit's going to continue to point out sin in your life and say, that's got to go, that's got to go. How is the Holy Spirit a lawyer here? He's advocating for righteousness, and he's advocating against your sin. You say, well, is he advocating against me? No, he's advocating for your betterment. You say, well, what tactics does he use to get the offender to change? Well, he uses conviction. How many know what that's like? You ever said something you shouldn't have said? You ever had one of those conversations with someone that you knew you probably shouldn't have had? Maybe you ran down someone. 
Or maybe your speech betrayed your Christian faith. You got in the car. You were just eaten up with conviction. Has that ever happened to anybody here tonight? Boy, it's happened to me. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to say, you knucklehead. I'm trying to make you into a new creature. I'm trying to sanctify you to be like Jesus. I'm trying to stand for righteousness in your heart. What other tactics does the Holy Spirit use as an advocate for righteousness? Well, not only does he use conviction, he uses chastisement. I guess um, at about five or six years old, my children asked me one day, they said, Dad, who spanks you and you do wrong? And I said, the Holy Spirit of God. And it hurts far worse than a paddle. What tactics does the Holy Spirit use to chastise us? Well, I have learned in my life, oftentimes he'll either touch my health or my finances when he's trying to get my attention. He'll send some health problem my way. He'll take my money away. All my money belongs to him anyway. And he knows how to drain the bank account dry. My health belongs to him. He gave it to me. He can take it away. Um, those aren't the only way God spanks us. Sometimes he'll send a, a, a prophet like Nathan to put a bony finger in our face and say, Thou art the man. Or thou art the woman. And he'll embarrass us for what we've done. But the Holy Spirit has his methods when it comes to advocating for righteousness. Now, um, by the way, I didn't give you point three. Yeah, I did. Our lawyer, when we fall to temptation. Satan has stumbling blocks upon life's path. You know, tonight you'll go home. And if you have a television in your house, it's going to be staring at you and you walk in the door. I've got a TV in my house. It's very limited with what we can watch, what we do watch. But that TV's going to be staring at you, and you turn that thing on. There's going to be some programming on there that just flat out is sin. You watch that, and you crawl in bed. The Holy Spirit starts thumping you in the chest. You know you shouldn't have watched that. You know you shouldn't have been entertained by that. You... You get in the car and you're flipping through the radio dial and a song comes on. And it's glorifying things that are not godly. You listen to the song. Or maybe even worse, you, you were saved out of an old lifestyle or you had a time of rebellion into the wrong kind of music. And you're walking through the grocery store and one of those songs from your past begins to play over the, over the store uh, uh, speakers. And you catch yourself singing it. Does that ever happen to anybody? Holy Spirit starts thumping you in the chest. You need to knock it off. Now, I'm going to tell you what I learned when I was a kid and what I think my children have learned from me. Is when Dad says to knock it off, you get one warning. And if you don't knock it off, there's a swift hand of chastisement coming right behind it. Um, I don't know how many warnings God gives you. I guess for all of us it's different depending on the situation. 
But when the Holy Spirit tells you to knock it off through his conviction, you better knock it off or the chastising hand of the Lord is coming. You say, well, why does God chastise uh, uh, me for uh, for wrongdoing? The answer is because he loves you. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the Son in whom he delighteth. He loves you and he wants you to be better. And the Holy Spirit is taking a stand for righteousness in your heart. And he's saying these habits have got to go. And I'm doing it for the betterment of your righteousness. I'm doing it for the betterment of your life. Number one, the Holy Spirit is our lawyer during tribulations. He's our lawyer when we testify. He's our lawyer when we fall to temptation. Number four, notice he's our lawyer when we take time to pray. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 with me. Lastly, we're almost done here. Romans 8, and look at verse number 26. The Bible says there, likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There have been a handful of times in my life where I've been so broken, where I have been so hurt, that when I fell on my face before God to pray, I had no words to say. From the time I was old enough to talk, my parents had me praying for my grandmother's salvation. This would be my dad's mom. With a little kid's voice, I would ask God to save my grandmother. And I don't even think at that time I knew what getting saved even meant. As a 12-year-old boy, my grandmother's current husband, the man she'd been married to the longest, he was a judge in the state of Louisiana and a very good one at that. had been retired for some time, but natural causes took his life. And the man was not saved. He would listen to my dad give the gospel like a judge Uh, listening to a court case, and then he would make his verdict against salvation. And my dad could never get him to accept Christ as his Savior. My my grandmother looked at me and she said, Richard, can you escort me into the the viewing or the wake? And so in that little funeral chapel, we came in through the back door, set up very similar to this. We got to about the fourth pew from the back, and my grandmother just melted in a puddle right there, began to weep and cry over the death of her husband. And I remember standing there and tears running down my cheeks as a 12-year-old boy, knowing that my grandmother is lost and, and headed toward hell because she won't accept Christ's gift of salvation in her stubbornness. Looking down the way at a man I had grown to love as a step-grandfather, knowing that he was falling through hell because he rejected Jesus. And I remember I walked, once I got her down to the front, I walked out to the back and I sat in a dark room in that funeral home by myself and I began to weep and I began to cry and I I got myself up and I went back home to uh, uh, where we lived and uh, shortly thereafter 
after, there was a, a sermon preached in a high school chapel uh, about the, the uh, about uh, praying for your relatives and, and being a witness to your relatives. I remember they gave me an invitation and I came down to the front there and I knelt down and I just began to weep uncontrollably. Tears and, and were running down my cheeks and falling on the floor. I was soaking the, the altar there with my tears and I can remember laying there and all I could muster out of my body, out of my heart was, Oh God, oh God, oh God. You know what the Holy Spirit was doing at that moment? He was taking my broken heart, taking my broken heart. And he was interpreting in the ears of God what it was that I could not say. I remember, without going into details, I remember the moment that my wife and I were told to leave our ministry in, in Maryland. We packed up our, our moving truck and we drove to Terryville and we moved out of a large house into a little house. We left a large ministry where we had a lot of influence over a lot of people in several different ministries. Adults and children and all, all, over, the, uh, all over the church. There's several hundred people and we moved into a church of about 20 on a Sunday morning. I remember that pastor telling me, I don't want you coming to your Sunday school class. I will take it over. You're not even allowed to say goodbye to your class. He told me, you're not allowed to go into Spanish church and say goodbye to your Spanish church. Spanish church, when we got there, was running just a handful of people. And the four years we were there, we had grown it to about 60 total with the children that they were bringing in. And my Spanish had gone from very broken to fluent enough to be able to, to preach to those folks. And most of the folks that would come and sit and hear me preach, I had led them to the Lord and I had baptized them. They were uh, There was a, a very tight-knit spirit there in that Spanish church. It was getting to the place where it was about to explode in growth. And he told me, you're not allowed to go in there and tell them goodbye. And I looked at them and I said, you have no one else in this ministry that can even uh, speak those folks' language. And so I will be going in there. And if you don't want me to go in there, then you can call the police and keep me from walking in. I will be walking in there Sunday. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm not going to tell you whether or not my spirit was right there. It may have been out of bounds, but he backed down and he let me go in there. And I was able to gracefully, without divulging details of the situation, tell those folks goodbye. One of the ladies that my wife and I had done a lot of work with to help her and her husband had a plaque made and engraved in it uh, uh, our start date and our last Sunday. And there were some kind words that were said on there. When we moved into our little apartment, we hung that up on our wall uh, about a foot and a half from the edge of the bed because that's where the back wall was. And that hung there. And at nighttime, I would come back from working that job delivering the tires. And my wife was hurt and broken over what had happened, being thrown out of a church uh, and being told to leave over nothing wrong that we had done. Uh, just a pastor who, who uh, wanted us out of the way so he could bring his own staff in. And I remember my wife and I would lay in bed at nighttime and I would hold her in my arms with her head resting on my chest and her warm, hot tears 
falling down on my chest and the tears running off my cheeks and down into my earlobes and down onto the pillow. And I can remember staring up at the ceiling in that little apartment and just saying, Oh God, I don't understand what's going on. Oh God, please help me. Oh God, I, my heart is broken. Oh God, I miss my people. And I can, I can feel the Holy Spirit down on my chest taking my prayers, my repetitive prayer of brokenness and taking it to the very ears of God in heaven and saying, let me tell you what it is that He needs to say and doesn't know how. My friend, you go through your own scenario. You go through your own story. You go through your own pain and your hurt. And as many people as there are here today, there are that many stories of brokenness and pain. Every one of you could get up here and you could tell your own story of how life has hurt you and broke you. And my friend, what the devil wants to try to do is isolate us from God and keep us from prayer and get us to blame God. And what God is trying to tell us here in Romans chapter 8 is that even when you don't know what to say. You take your prayer to God as speechless as you may be. You lay flat on your face and you call out to God and the Holy Spirit will take that broken prayer to the ears of God and pray the most marvelous prayer you could ever pray. My friend, tonight I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit is the greatest lawyer that this world has ever known. And if you will submit your heart to Him and let Him have control, He will do incredible work and wonder for you. He will defend you against the tribulations and the persecutions of Satan. He will speak through you and directly to the hearts of those uh, uh, that, that you share your testimony with for the gospel of salvation. He will convict you and seek to change you when you fall to temptation. And He will speak to God and translate your most profound uh, prayers. The question for you tonight is this. Are you ready? Are you ready to submit to the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to let Him have control? Here is the battle of the Christian life. Here it is, right here. You ready? Will you give control of your life and heart to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to transform you transform you into the person that He wants you to be? Or do you want to hold on to the control and forfeit the benefits that He offers? Do you have control of your life? Or does the Holy Spirit have control of your life? Which is it? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, tonight, would you help us to look at the Holy Spirit deep down inside of our hearts? Oh, what a wonderful gift when you made us into temples. Lord, unfortunately, many times the Holy Spirit sits in a pit of mire and sin in our hearts, and we do very little about it. And God, what a wonderful, wonderful gift when we submit to Him and let Him advocate on our behalf. Lord, tonight, would You help us to turn over the reins Would you help us to be completely submitted to the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. The altar is open.